was read for us earlier in Luke chapter 11. We're looking at verses um, 33 to 36. That's on page 736 if you're using the Bibles that are there in the seats. If you're using your Bible from home, which I'm glad if you brought your own Bible, uh, but I can't tell you what page it's on. And for the rest of you, Google it. Have you ever gone to a party and not really wanted, whoops, whoops, excuse us. All right. We'll be all right there. All right. Have you ever gone to a party and not really wanted to be there? Yeah. You felt obligated to go, but, but the joy and the celebration that were happening on the outside was not what you were feeling on the inside. Um, outside was all fun and laughs and color and lights, but inside you were feeling gloomy and dark. Maybe you've had some Christmases like that. Everyone's singing joy to the world, but you're feeling anything but joyful on the inside. Like everything on the outside is light, but on the inside it's dark. That's the, the situation that today's passage is addressing. It's about how to get the Christmas light on the outside to come and to light up the inside. Now, I'm not talking about all the glitz and the dazzle of Christmas. I mean, some people love that, while others find it kind of fake and shallow or overwhelming. But what I'm talking about is the softer, richer light which accompanies Christmas. Not the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree kind of light, but the star the wise men saw kind of light. Not the did you see my neighbor's giant inflatable glow-in-the-dark snowman kind of light, but the prophetic promise that the people walking in darkness will see a great light kind of light. What Jesus talks about in today's passage is how to let that kind of light in from the outside to the inside. Luke, who wrote today's passage about Jesus, has already told us again and again in his gospel that Jesus came to bring light. Luke told us when the priest Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, prophesied Jesus' birth, he said, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Then Luke told us when Jesus was born that there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. Then Luke told us that Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, presented him to God at the temple, and a man named Simeon came up, moved by the Holy Spirit, to declare that this child would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. Later, when Jesus had grown up and begun his ministry, he told the parable a parable about a sower who who sowed seed in four different kinds of soil. And of course, in the parable, Jesus is the sower and the seed is his word and the soils are, are different ways that people respond. And then Jesus concludes after that parable in Luke 8, verse 16, no one lights a lamp and 
hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Therefore, consider carefully how you hear. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing the light (laughs) through my words, through my message. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? To sum all this up, Luke says, and Jesus says, that Jesus has come to shine light in dark places. Jesus is like a lamp, glowing, beaming, shedding light for all to see so that all can see. So what is this light that Jesus came to bring? What kind of light has he come to be? Well, in the first 10 chapters of the Gospel of Luke, Luke has introduced us to Jesus and to the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, this, this king who was born that we remember at Christmas time. And if we've been following Luke's story through the first 10 chapters, we've, we will have seen that Jesus came not to the rich and to the powerful, but to be among the poor and the needy. That Jesus sought out the outcasts and the marginalized and he embraced them. That Jesus assured them that yes, the the world around them and even organized religion might have written them off and told them that they're worth nothing and that they're not worth God's time or attention. But that that was a false view of God. That God actually is near to such people, eager to forgive them and draw them close, no matter what they have done or what others might say about them. Jesus also made clear that that kind of kingdom that he came to bring is is going to turn the world upside down. And, and so Jesus stood up for the oppressed. He spoke truth to power. He aimed to topple the powerful and to raise up the oppressed as his mother Mary sung in that beautiful Magnificat that we sometimes read at Christmas time. Obviously, this made Jesus a hero for some and a villain to others. Yet his popularity grew as he healed the sick, as he set free those oppressed by evil, as he fed the hungry, as he loved the unlovely. Yet the crowds that Jesus attracted to them, he spoke a challenging message. For those who wanted to follow him and to see his kingdom come into being, Jesus told them that this would require that they too love their enemies, that they forgive those who had hurt them, that they give generously to the needy, that they serve others sacrificially, and that they follow Jesus completely and unconditionally. This was radical. This was countercultural. It still is. It, it is as different from the way of the world as light is from darkness. It definitely stands out as much as a lamp does in the dark. And, and yet, the, like light in the darkness, Jesus' way, if followed, can heal what is broken in the world. Jana just mentioned that about the Norwegians, the Vikings. It can heal what is broken in the world and set right what is wrong. It it can restore individuals and whole societies back to God and make the world what we all deep down long for it to be and what God intends for it to be. As the the prophet Isaiah and Micah put it, as they they looked out to where all of this is headed and what Jesus would accomplish, they prophesied, a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse, that's Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. 
He will settle disputes for, for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Rather, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. This is the light that that Jesus came to shine into the world. And if this is, is the true light of Christmas, wouldn't you like to know how to get that light from the outside into the inside? Wouldn't you like to share it, to share in it, to experience it, and, and to make it your own? That's what today's passage is about. But it's a, a confusing passage at, at first glance. It's full of metaphors. First, Jesus repeats what he said back in Luke 8 about lighting a lamp and putting it where it can be seen. Then he, he talks about our eyes being the lamp of our body and how... Uh, or how um, he talks about how good uh, our eyes are determines how much light gets into our bodies. And, and then Jesus talks about our whole body being full of light as if a lamp is shining on us. Say what? Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, let's see if we can make sense of it. To, to understand this passage, we're going to have to avoid two mistakes which are easy to make. The first is confusing what Jesus says here about hiding lamps with Jesus' more famous words in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Because there in Matthew, Jesus also says no one hides a lamp under a basket. But there, Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. So uh, you shouldn't hide your light. Same analogy about hiding a lamp, but a different application from here in Luke. Here this morning, we're in Matthew. We're not in Matthew, sorry. We're in Luke. So if we're going to understand what Jesus says here in Luke, we're going to have to realize this time Jesus is the lamp, not his followers. This, the second mistake we have to avoid if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying here in Luke is we're going to have to avoid hearing what Jesus says too individualistically. After all, we live in America, the great land of individualism. And so we tend to hear everything as if it applies to us personally. And we could be tempted in that direction by the metaphor Jesus uses because he says the eye is the lamp of the body. And so it's tempting to assume the eye represents my personal eyes or maybe my spiritual eyes and the body is my body, myself, my life. But, but that's not what Jesus is getting at. Because if you were here last week, you know that the context Jesus is speaking to here is a whole generation of people, not just individual people. Right? If you were here last week, Jesus in verses 29 to 32 was addressing the generation of people alive at that time when Jesus came. They were hiding from Jesus by demanding a sign from him or else they weren't going to receive him as their king. And Jesus was warning that generation that this was a wicked thing to do. And so the analogies Jesus now gives about lamps and eyes and bodies are following up on that warning that we looked at last time. These analogies have to do with Jesus coming to bring light and whether the generation at that time was willing to see that light and let it in. Then, sure, once we've got that part about generations, we can also apply the message to ourselves individually because we're part of our generation. All right, so let's dive in and see if we can make sense of this. First in verse 33, Jesus repeats what he said earlier back in chapter 8. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it 
in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, this part's clear enough once we realize that Jesus is the light. He is the lamp, and he didn't come just to be hidden. I mean, who gets, who, when it gets dark at night and and, and you light a lamp, who takes that lit lamp and then goes and hides it somewhere? I mean, that would be ludicrous, right? It defeats the purpose of what a lamp is for. A lamp is meant to shine in the darkness to give people light. And so Jesus is saying, since I'm the light, since I've come to bring light, I've got to shine. I've got to do what I came to do. I've got to say what I came to say, not in secrecy, not quietly, not apologetically, but publicly and boldly. Because what good is light if it's hidden away? That's not what light is for. And so the message of good news that Jesus came to announce, the the kingdom that he came to establish, the new way of living he came to model and to teach, he is going to offer without apologies and without hesitations. It's light. Its very purpose is to shine for us to see. All right, that part's easy to understand. Jesus' whole life has been about lighting lamps. And in this passage, he says, that's what I'm going to keep on doing. The next part is where Jesus tells us how we can get that light in from the outside into us. Jesus says in verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is doing its job, your whole body will be filled up with light. But if your eye is not doing its job, your body will be full of darkness. So can you picture that? To to experience it, all you have to do is do what Ann and I did right after we got married, and that is we moved to the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) The weather is beautiful there. The the scenery is gorgeous for about three months every year. (laughs) But come September, the clouds move in. The rain starts up. And it seems like from September all the way to the next April, it's constantly gray and drab and wet and dreary. And guess what? That darkness on the outside has an effect on the inside. That's when we realized why they drink so much good coffee in Seattle. (laughs) Because when it's dreary outside and your eyes aren't letting in much light, pretty soon you're feeling dreary on the inside too. You have less energy. You, You get kind of depressed. You wonder if the sun will ever come out again. Until finally summer comes and it's beautiful again and your eyes are letting in lots of light and you start to feel bright inside again and happy and energetic. That's the metaphor Jesus is working with here. But Jesus, of course, has a spiritual application in mind for the generation that he's speaking to. And, and so in this analogy, his, his generation is the body in the analogy. And whether that generation are going to be full of darkness or full of the light that Jesus came to bring will depend on their eyes. So what are the eyes of that generation? Well, what are the eyes of any generation? Well, in the Bible and still today, eyes represent two things. Eyes represent perception and eyes represent desire. First, eyes represent perception. That's obvious. Our eyes represent how we perceive or how we look at things. Think of the expression, why can't he see that? <laughs> or the response, oh, now I see what you're getting at. It's, it's perception, it's understanding, it's outlook, it's worldview. Second, the eyes also represent desires. 
as in the expression, he only has eyes for her, or my eyes are too big for my stomach. <laughs> in the letter of 1 John, the, the, the writer also mentioned the, mentions the lust of the eyes. What, what we're looking at represents what we long for, what we desire. And, and so Jesus is saying to his generation, how you perceive things, how you look at them, and what you desire and long for, those determine whether the light I came to bring is going to get in and illumine you or whether you're going to go on in your darkness. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? He's saying our eyes matter. It's the, the way we look out at the world. It's, it's what we believe to be true and important and desirable that that shapes and colors our whole existence and our whole lives. There's a funny example of this in an old Farside cartoon. Uh, two men are fishing on a lake out in the country, and in the far-off distance, they see several uh, large nuclear mushroom clouds. And then one of them says to another, I don't know if you can read it, I'll tell you what this means, Norm. No size restrictions and screw the limit. Now, that's not the way... Uh, rather, that's one way to see the situation, right? <laughs> it's not the way I'd see it. <laughs> but then again, my perspective, my eyes, obviously aren't the same as those guys. My eyes are different from theirs. So, question. If our eyes matter, if our perceptions, our desires, determine whether we're full of light or whether we're steeped in darkness, then what kind of eyes do we need to have? Well, Jesus actually tells us in verse 34. He says, if your eyes are healthy, or some translations have it, if your eyes are good. Now, those English translations don't tell us a whole lot, but the Greek word they're translating does. Literally, that word means single, which is the way the old King James translated it. Single eyes. If your eyes are single, if your perception is single, if you are single-minded and you have a single focus, if your desires are single, if your heart is undivided and set on one thing only, that's when you're going to have good eyes and healthy eyes. Interestingly, this word can also be translated generous, generous eyes. The footnote of the new NIV points that out. And it's also interesting to me that in the very next passage, Jesus goes on to attack the Pharisees and the teachers of the law those leaders who had the biggest influence in shaping the perceptions and the desires of that generation. Those leaders who were most influential regarding the eyes of that generation. And what does Jesus accuse the Pharisees of? Well, he accuses them of being hypocrites, of being two-faced, of being stingy, acting one way on the outside, but being another way in their hearts as it relates and benefits only to themselves. So Jesus says to them, verse 39, outside you look clean and pure, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Then he says in verse 41, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Then down in verse 42, he says to them, you make a religious show on the outside, but meanwhile you neglect justice and the love of God. In other words, Jesus says to the Pharisees, your eyes, your perspectives, your desires, 
They're not single. They don't have integrity. You're trying to have it both ways. You want to look good and respectable on the one hand, but on the other, you have no generosity in your hearts. You have no concern for the oppressed. You're greedy and you're self-centered. And so Jesus is saying, with eyes like that, you can't see the light that I've come to bring. And neither can the generation whom you've influenced. And then Jesus ends with a warning in verse 35. See to it, he says. In other words, watch out. Pay attention to this. Make sure that the light within you, or that you think is within you, is not actually darkness. You don't want to be in the dark and not even realize it. You don't want to miss the light that I've come to bring. Strong words for that generation. What about our generation today? Do we have the kind of eyes, the kind of perception, the kind of perspective, the kind of desires and longings which will let the light of Christmas in? Which will allow us to be part of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring? Do we have single eyes or are we also trying to have it both ways? It's easy to embrace Jesus when he offers us grace and love and forgiveness and he provides peace and purpose for our lives. But what about when Jesus starts talking about wanting our full allegiance and our obedience? When he bids us to take up our crosses and to follow him into his crazy kingdom where the least are the greatest and the the poor are lifted up and the rich are brought low. And when he tells us that that we have to lay down our lives in love like he's going to do, like he did, to find the life that he offers, what then? Are are we still single-minded? Are we still all in? Or do we flip-flop? Do we give lip service, uh, dutifully reading those texts and studying them, but not really living that way because the truth is we're double-minded? We're... Still desiring, actually, though we give lip service to Jesus, we're still trying to have what the world is offering us, too. We want to be a part of that kingdom, too. We're still perceiving reality the way the world is perceiving it. Like the world, is it it that our viewpoint is that what's most important in life is being safe and secure and being comfortable and well-off in this lifetime? If, If that's the case, then Jesus warns us, Be careful. If your eyes are divided, your focus is divided, if it's not single, then those kind of eyes won't let my light in, actually. If your eyes aren't single, focused on my kingdom alone, then you're going to be left in the darkness, whether you think you have light or not. So as we close, let me ask us, Do we want the amazing, hopeful, wonderful light of Christmas to get in, to be on the inside, on the inside of our community, on the inside of our individual lives? Jesus tells us how. Jesus is shining brightly. The light is there. The question is, do we have a single focus, a single desire to let that light come flooding in? Because listen to Jesus' vision for us as he concludes his words here in verse 36. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as 
when a lamp shines its light on you. That's what Jesus wants for our congregation, for um, our individual lives as well. That's why Jesus came. So wouldn't you like your life to be just flooded with Christmas light? Well, if you feel your eyes are not single, but you want to live in that light, then there's good news. Jesus is a master at opening the eyes of the blind, at healing blind eyes. You, you can ask him, and he will give you new eyes, single eyes. I want to give you a moment just to pray quietly to yourselves in response for this, and then I'm going to close us with a blessing before we sing our final song.